All right. Starting off in Matthew 25, I've started a series on money, talking about money. Our favorite topic, right? <laughs> and I've been the pastor here going on six years, and I've never, outside of a couple years ago, uh, three of us, uh, we dealt with the topic of money. <clears throat> but other than that, I've never taught on money, not even as a youth pastor when I served in. And I didn't realize until recently, several months ago, that I, didn't, I never talked on it because, one, I didn't want to. Uh, two, because I was afraid to. Afraid to. I mean, it's one of those topics like, I don't know if I want to talk about that. Plus, there's other things more important than talk, to talk about than money. Right? You realize Jesus talked more about money than any other topic? Isn't that crazy? So I think money is important. Uh, matter of fact, I know it's very important. It's a very important part of our lives. And, I, and as I was saying before, I was afraid and nervous about talking about this, but I have actually become excited, very excited about talking about these things. Now, I want to say I'm not a um, financial planner or manager or anything like that. Finances is not my, my area of expertise, so I'm not sharing on finances from a place of perfection or a place of expertise or I didn't get my degree in money or anything like that. Um, you know, as I was just talking to the Lord and he was talking to me and, you know, over the years and the things that he has me share, a lot of times when I talk about things like outreach, um, you know, reaching out to lost people, doing treasure hunts, things of that sort, there's a strong grace on my life from the Lord to do that. That's a strong area in my life. That's, quote, unquote, easy for me. Uh, and sometimes it's okay to share from your strengths to encourage one another. I mean, God graces us so we can encourage and, and stir each other up, right? But sometimes he, he told me this the other day. He says, sometimes also, son, it's good to share from your place of weakness, a place of brokenness. And therein lies the purpose of this financial talk. Um, this is a place that, this isn't, a, this isn't an area that I've arrived, and so I'm going to tell you guys how to follow me into that place of arriving. Nothing like that. I'm still on the journey. I'm still learning. Um, I have a whole bunch of debt, just to let you know how successful I am. Whole bunch of debt. But the cool thing is, you know, the Bible says, Romans chapter 12, it says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So when we allow our minds to be renewed by the word of God, we're being transformed. And that's what's happening to me. I'm being transformed I'm allowing him to change me, and so therefore my thought process and my thought patterns concerning finances and wealth is changing. I believe it's becoming more kingdom-minded. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. And so a couple, let's see, two or three weeks ago when I started this process, you know, some of you may be thinking, why are we talking about money? I believe it has a lot to do with transformation of our community, revival, seeing people saved, born again, delivered from drugs, delivered from sex trafficking, delivered from all kinds of craziness and darkness that they're going through. And I believe finances will play a pivotal role in helping people. In Proverbs, it talks about that the wealth of the wicked is being stored up for the righteous. We've talked about that. And my question to you has been, who's going to Who's going to get that money? If God's going to be storing it up for the righteous, 
then who is going to get that? And we know that we are righteous in Christ Jesus, right? But just because you're a Christian, just because you're born again, does that make you a candidate to receive more of the wealth that God wants to download on you, just because you're a Christian? And the answer to that question, I believe, is no. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that God can and will entrust a greater measure of resources to us, but I believe he wants to. I believe God wants us to position ourselves in a way to where we can receive more of his financial resources. But he wants us to position ourselves in that way. And I feel like he gave me an analogy. I saw a picture yesterday of like God's blessing, you know, financial, wealth, favor. It's like a waterfall just falling down, just pouring down. And anybody who steps under that waterfall is going to benefit from those resources. And I believe you don't even have to be a Christian necessarily because there are people who don't even know the Lord who are blessed financially and who are being blessed financially. Now, I'm not talking about people who win the lottery. I'm not talking about people who do like you say, well, drug dealers are blessed because they, some of them make a lot of money. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men and women who are doing things the right way with integrity and their businesses are being blessed. This, this waterfall of God's finances, resources, I believe it's falling down, and he wants us to position ourselves under that so we can be, be a recipient of his resources. And I believe how you position yourself under that is by following, obeying his principles. His biblical principles that he has outlined in his word, his kingdom principles, when we follow those things, when we submit to them, we are positioning ourselves under that waterfall. And I really believe that. So it's time for us to take a swim. It's time for us to to partner with him. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Jesus is wanting to give us a picture of what the kingdom is like, so he tells this story. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He didn't just give everybody the same amount in this story. He gave it to them according to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, hid the master's, and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used the money, how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. And one thing I want to bring to your attention is wealth is a responsibility. So if you're saying, Lord, I want more money, I want more wealth, you're saying, Lord, I want more responsibility. And we have to understand that because we can't just expect and want a lot of money without realizing there's a responsibility that comes with that. 
Let's celebrate together, he says. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. It's interesting how the king here was celebrating their achievement. And you know, it's interesting because he celebrated the second guy who only, he only had two bags of silver and he doubled it with two more. And the king celebrated him just like he did the guy who had five bags of silver and doubled that. So it's not if you only have that level of capacity of two bags of silver and and someone next to you has five bags and they double theirs and you double yours, God's going to celebrate you both together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man in harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Doesn't seem like there's any celebration going on this one. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? And at least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Read that one line again. Those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And that's the bottom line that I wanted to get at in this whole parable. So if you want to know Who's going to receive the wealth that I believe God is storing up? It's those who are being faithful with what they have right now. If you're wanting more in your prayer, God, I want more, I want more, I need more money, I need more money, then your commission is to be faithful with what he's entrusted to you right now. If you cannot deal with or or handle in the right way what you currently have, All of a sudden, having more money is not going to make you a wise financial advisor. You know, we think, well, if I just had more money, then I would be a better steward. That's not the case. And just like I shared the statistic of 77 or 78% of people who win the lottery, a few years later, they are worse off than they were before they won the lottery. Isn't that crazy? Because we would think, if I won the lottery, I would not be worse off than I was before. But statistics overwhelmingly prove that that's not the case. They're worse off. I had the privilege of riding around with one of Stillwater's finest, one of the police officers this week, and I don't know how we got on the topic of money, but he told me, he said, have you heard about the one guy, and maybe some of you had, I hadn't, there's, some, there's somebody who won the lottery twice. He's won the lottery twice, and he said, and both times were like 300 plus million. And this police officer was saying, Have you heard about the guy who won it twice, and he's dead broke? Now, that guy's got some issues. I'm sorry. I mean, come on now. But see, that just shows just having more money doesn't necessarily make your situation better. Now, it may for temporarily. I'm sure that guy was having fun, you know, spending five, six hundred million or however much he had. But look where he is now. So the point is just because 
Lord, don't think that just having more money is going to make you more successful financially. We need to be better stewards of what we have in our possession right now. And I believe to be better stewards, one of the things is, uh, is our goal. The goal is our mindset has to be changed concerning money. Our goals, and my, my goal and my desire for you guys is for your financial thought process to change, to become more kingdom-minded. And in the areas where you're strong financially, we want to celebrate that with you and encourage you to keep going. But in areas where your thought process does not line up with him, that needs to change. And that's the journey that I've been on. My money, thought pro- my money uh, mindset and everything has been all jacked up, been all crazy, all over the place. And God is changing it. So finances definitely hasn't been a strong area in my life. However, it's changing because my mindset is changing. You know, in the beginning, no, not that far back when God created the heavens and the earth, not that far back. But earlier in my life, when I was 18, and I was, I was graduated high school on my way here to Oklahoma State, I remember my stepfather having me sign this paper. He said, here, fill the, or sign this. It was an application for a credit card. And I said, what's that for? He said, it's an application for a credit card. So what's that? What's that for? He said, so you can establish your credit. Oh, okay. So me being a very mature, very wise, very responsible 18-year-old, I hope you feel the sarcasm. I go off to college or come to college with a loaded, I don't know if it was $500 or $1,000 credit limit, credit card. That was 32 years ago. And because of that wonderful blessing that I embraced in my life, I am still dealing with the poor financial choices that I made, the debt that I have now that started back when I was 18, 32 years ago. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. See, I was, I was, you know, and my stepfather, and this isn't his fault. I'm not blaming him. Boy, he was, he was so mean to me. He abused me. No, I was the one that, that used the credit card. And here's what I did. You know, very mature, responsible 18-year-old, go to the store, see a toy. Ooh, I want that. What's, how much is that? $500. I can't afford $500. Ooh, I can afford $15 a month payments. Buy that toy. Go to another store. Ooh, that's a pretty shiny toy. How much does that cost? $300. I can't afford $300. I can afford $10 a month payments. I can afford that. So I have all these toys and all this debt. And especially when you pay $10 a month, $15 a month on that debt. You know what I'm getting at? Bondage. In our society, we believe that debt is a normal part of our lives, or it should be. It's okay. Debt is normal. There's nothing wrong with it. It's part of our lives. And that's what I was brought up to believe. And so this normal part of my life is a huge ball and chain. It's a, I feel enslaved by it, actually. You know, here's what the Bible says about debt. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant or slave to the owner or to the lender. Excuse me. The borrower is servant or slave to the lender. 
Psalms 37, 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. Deuteronomy 28, 12 and 13, the Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. Blessing of the Lord. You will never need to borrow. I do not believe borrowing is a blessing, especially when there's, there's debt and there's slavery attached to it. I don't see that as a blessing. But that's what our country propagates. That's what our society propagates. I mean, they are aggressive when it comes to promoting and encouraging debt. I can't remember how many billions of dollars annually that industry is, but it's just crazy. See, you will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. Debt is not a blessing. I can tell you from personal experience, it is not a blessing. I don't get up every day and celebrate. Thank you, Jesus, for all this debt. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And I want to encourage you, especially you young people, don't even go there. Don't even go there. I would encourage you not to even go there. However, if I'm going to avoid living on debt, then I have to have a plan. See, my mindset has changed dramatically to where I despise debt now. I hate debt. I loathe debt. And I want that attitude to become more and more and more aggressive because then it fuels me to do something about the debt that I have, basically paying it off, basically being responsible and doing what I need to do to get rid of it. And that's not trying to hide from it, trying to avoid it, but paying it off. However, if I'm going to avoid living on debt, because, see, it's one thing to have debt, but I don't have to continue to accumulate more and more and more debt. So it's like, okay, it's time to stop that flow. I have to deal with this, but I'm not going to use debt moving forward. But I have to have a plan, a plan, a plan of what I'm going to do with my money every time I receive a paycheck. So when I have a paycheck comes in, I have to have a plan only if I want to steward my finances and resources well and I want to avoid debt. Because we can all say, I'm not going to use debt. But if you do not have a financial plan, then guess what's going to happen? The end result is the byproduct is going to be you're going to have to use debt. Because, you know, if your car breaks down or if your air conditioning breaks down or if you have to go to the hospital or, or these, these emergencies, these occurrences that happen in our lives, if we don't have a plan for them, then we're going to be overtaken by them. And typically the, what we do is, is use debt. So what is this plan called? It's called a budget. Did I just say a dirty word? It's called the budget. So the first area where the Lord has been changing my thought process is my attitude towards debt. And I challenge and encourage you that if you see debt as a normal or it's okay, I challenge you to invite the Lord to deal with you, to encourage you to see debt from his perspective. From his perspective. Now, again, we're talking about what we need to do to position ourselves to be faithful stewards of what he's already entrusted to us so he can entrust more to us. Remember, that's the goal. So first thing is, is my attitude towards debt has changed. 
And I realize the importance of, of developing and, ha- and living on a budget. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. My number one financial goal now, what I pray for on a regular basis, is even, even more than I ask God for more, I pray to get out of debt. That's my number one goal. Now I'm asking for him. I'm, I'm leaning on his mercy and saying, Lord, I know you delight in showing mercy, so I love a little bit of that mercy in my, in my way. And asking him to help me to get out of debt quickly, even supernaturally. But in the meantime, I'm not just sitting and waiting, sitting on the couch, waiting for God to do something. I'm praying and asking him to do something, but I'm doing my part responsibly in the meantime. And see, that has changed. That's an attitude that's changed. I'll talk about in a moment. So budget. What is a budget, basically? And I'm not going to teach you about how to have a budget and how to do a budget and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. We don't have time for that. But budget is basically where you assign a name to every single dollar. If you bring in $1,000 a month, then every one of those dollars has a name attached to it. Not just, well, i got to pay my utilities and I have to buy food and I have to pay for gas and I have to pay my mortgage. But then the rest of it is just kind of free floating. Every dollar needs to have a name attached to it. You have, in other words, you need to have a plan for what you're going to do with every single dollar that comes in. Dollar the, come in, you line them up and say, this is what your assignment is. This is what your assignment is. You assign a name to everyone. For example, tithing, giving, grocery, mortgage, insurance, auto repair, savings, allowance. Every dollar needs to have a name attached to it. You know, some people, what they'll do is they'll, they'll pay a few of their bills and then they'll go out and spend a bunch of money on, ooh, the fair's in town. Or, ooh, there's a great movie. I'm going to go see that movie. Or, let's go do this, go do and you And you spend on that and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, the electric bill is due. I don't have enough money for the electric bill. Now, you had enough money before you went to the movies, but because you didn't have a plan and you got excited, now you're in trouble. And so then what tends to happen is we pull out the, the nice little piece of plastic. Practical application. Budgeting is a good thing. See, a lot of times when you say the word budget, people cringe. They go into convulsions. They pass out. They run away, shriek, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because we think of it as bondage. But I see budget as freedom. Because when your money, ha- when you have a plan for your money, and your money has names to it, and say, okay, all this money is going to these different categories, and then you have a, an area called allowance. In other words, this is free money that I can spend every month just so I can just blow this money. I don't have to have an account for this money. Then you can enjoy, whether it's eating out or going to the movies or, or buying that, that toy or whatever, if you have that in your budget, you can enjoy that a whole lot more then spending it on stuff and then not having, knowing that you're not going to have enough money to take care of your needs. And so many people live that way. So many people. I didn't look up the statistics, and I can't say the majority, but I'm willing to bet that the majority of the people live that way. I know very few people or the minority live on a budget. 
Budget brings more freedom. It means living within our means, which means not spending more than we bring in. If I make $1,000 a month, but I'm spending, a, I'm spending 1100 a month, then what does that mean? That means I'm using debt. Unless I'm just finding free money somewhere, but that's not usually the case. It means I'm using debt. And also not spending all that we have. See, one of my problems over the years is I've been a consumer, meaning I've consumed every dollar that's come in. It's like, yummy, I need some more. But, you know, you know someone says if you want to be rich, do what rich people do. If you want to be skinny, do what skinny people do. And it's like, what sense does it make if you're wanting to learn to handle and have more wealth, what sense does it make to talk to your broke uncle? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But if you have a rich uncle and you say, uncle, how do you, how do, you do your finances? How do you live? And you listen to him, you're going to learn some principles you know, particularly if he's a godly man, you're going to learn some principles and things that rich people do, and that's why they stay rich, because they're, they're good stewards of what they have, and it multiplies. So we need to find out what do rich people do, and we need to follow those habits. So I'm learning not to spend all that I have, but to save. You need to have a savings plan built into your budget every month. One of the names of those dollars or part of your money needs to have the word savings attached to it. Because here's what's going to happen. If you don't save, but you spend, let's say you make a thousand bucks and you spend a thousand bucks in October, then what's going to happen in November when your bills cost a thousand bucks, you spend a thousand bucks, then your car breaks down. Then what's going to happen? You have to pull out Mr. Plastic. And you're saying, but no, I'm not going to use debt. If you don't have a plan, then you're planning to use debt. If you do not have a financial plan, namely budget, then you are planning to use debt. Being diligent to do something about my debt situation instead of having that. Oh, being diligent to do something about my debt situation instead of having that waiting to win the lottery mentality, expecting God or someone to bail me out of my financial mess. Here was a mentality that I've had for a long time. Got myself into this, this, all this debt, and I recognized this is not good. God doesn't want me to stay in this mess. And so I'm learning to be better, faithful, steward, and I'm praying to get out of debt. But here's what I was doing. I was praying, basically sitting on the couch, expecting God and his wonderful mercy to bail me out of this mess. And in the meantime, I was making the mess bigger, but I was expecting God to bail me out. Or I was expecting some person who had the means, who, who are generous people, you know, I'm expecting them or hoping they'll look my way. You know, you try to get their attention. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, you want to pray with me about something? <laughs> you know, I call that that waiting to win the lottery mentality. You're waiting for that great windfall to come and set you free. And I, think, I feel like that's very irresponsible because that's the way I was living for a long time. But I've learned to, I'm praying and asking for God's mercy, but I'm being diligent to pay off my debt and, and living within a plan so that I'm not accumulating, accumulating more debt. So my attitude has changed concerning debt and has changed concerning a budget. 
My attitude has also changed concerning giving. Now, I'm not going to teach on giving per se today, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I've learned biblical principles about tithings and offerings, and I've become faithful and, con- and consistent in doing so. I believe the Bible teaches this, tithes and offerings. I believe the Bible teaches this as the beginning of kingdom giving. The beginning of kingdom giving, it's the entry level. You know, tithe means one-tenth. There's nothing special about that word other than it means a tenth, which means if you have $100 and make $100, then 10 of that dollars, 10 of those dollars should be a tithe, plain and simple. Ten bushels of wheat you bring in, one bushel goes to God, the nine you hold on to. You know, God made it very, very simple. Very, all you do is move the decimal over one place, and you have the tithe. Malachi 3, 10 and 11, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of, of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall, fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of hosts, or heaven's armies. Now, I can't say this with 100% clarity because I forgot to, to look into it, to check it out. But I believe, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, if you know otherwise. I believe this is the only place in Scripture where the Lord says, try me, test me. Is there any other places? Anybody know of? Huh? It's the only one. That's what I thought, but I, hadn't, I didn't verify it. So now I have with all my witnesses. But, but check this out. He says, try it, put me to the test. You bring the tithe into my storehouse and watch what I will do. When I first became a Christian, I learned what it means to tithe, and I began to tithe regularly. And I've been tithing and giving regularly all these years. But in the early days, I did it out of obligation, out of duty. The Bible says do it, so I did it. That's changed because I see it from a totally different perspective now. Because my relationship with the Lord is different. Because I see him as a a father, as a king, who is establishing his kingdom, and he's invited his sons and daughters to partner with him. You know, we're called joint heirs with Jesus, co-heirs. That means everything Jesus owns, we own. That's why he can say stuff like, abide in me, my word abides in you, ask whatever you desire, and I'll give it to you. He says, I want to have that kind of relationship with you that I can entrust you with all of my resources. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. And so he even invites us here when it comes to our resources, finances. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Let me ask you this. Does God need food? Does God need food? He's like, hey, I need you all to bring that stuff into my storehouse so that I can eat because I'm hungry. No, it was for the temple priests. It was for the ministers. The, the, the principle behind the tithe was they brought it in to take care of the ministers. That was, their, their, that was the economy that God set up to take care of them. And I believe that still happens today. You know, in, in the New Testament, because some people say, well, they don't, the Bible doesn't teach about tithing in the New Testament. Well, Matthew 23, 23, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? This is Jesus talking. He says, Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. 
but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He didn't say, do not tithe anymore. He says, yes, you should do that, but this is what you mainly need to be focusing on. And see, I believe tithing and offering, it's like an entry level. You know, we make it, we want it to be our max. What's the max I have to give? And the Lord's like, no, this is the entry level. That this is, this is the door that I'm opening up to invite you into an amazing adventure with me. You know why many people do not have financial miracles happen in their lives? Because they're not dealing with their finances according to kingdom principles. You know, over, over the years... Now, when Lisa and I first got married, I, I, make, I bring in more income now than I did back then. Things were tight. You know, living from paycheck to paycheck, things were very tight. But we tithe and we gave offerings. And there were times when we didn't have enough money. It's like, you know, mir- not miracles, um, emergency situations came up that were beyond our means. And we're like, uh-oh, what do we do? And over 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 again, God miraculously provided. Now, see, some financial advisors would look at our finances and says, you shouldn't be tithing because you need to do this with that, which would make logical sense. But I'm going to trust the logic of the one who created all logic, who created the universe, who says to live by faith, and he says, here's an area where I'm inviting you to trust me. Here's an area where I'm inviting you to experience miracles. Remember, he says, try me and see what I will do. And in that passage, he's saying that I will will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. I know people who who give, their goal is to give like 50, 60, 70, 80% of their money away and just live on 20, 30%. That's their desire, that's their goal. Because they've, they've walked in this trust with God. They see money from a whole different perspective. And that's what's happening to me. I'm beginning to see money from a whole different perspective. It's an invitation by my father to join him and see crazy adventures and amazing miracles. Now, one thing I want to say, just say this um, quickly, because some of you, well, many, maybe a lot of you do not know this, especially if you haven't been around for a long time. I'm the pastor here. I intentionally, and I learned this from my pastor, and I appreciated him, him showing me this. I remember when I first became pastor, one of our responsibilities is to sign those those notices, you know, when you give to the church and you get that one letter that says, thank you for giving X amount of dollars to New Covenant Fellowship, you know, for your tax purposes, right? So that you can write that off on taxes and everything. But when you have those letters and you're signing them I and you see who gave, it shows how much they gave. I remember the first year I did that. When I came away from signing all those hundreds, 200, whatever letters, not only did I have cramps in my wrist, but I had a cramp in my attitude, And it messed me up. Because what happened was, is I saw who gave and how much they gave. I'm thinking, what? That's it? That's all they gave? Are you kidding me? 
And it messed with my attitude because as I would, I would look at you and I'd see dollar signs. Either big dollar signs or little dollar signs. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about? It messed my attitude up and it was affecting me and I did not like it. So I went crying to my pastor. I said, this is not good. I said, what do I do about this? And, and he understood and he showed me what he did. And so basically, I don't look at how much you give. So I have no idea who gives and who doesn't give in this church. And as a result, so me sharing this message on giving and talking about tithing and everything, it can seem very self-serving. And kind of it is. But however, whether you think, well, I'm watching you to see if you're paying attention or not based on the amount of income or the amount of giving that you give, that's not happening. I intentionally choose not to know who gives and how much you give. That way when I look at you, I don't have to worry about dollar signs. I don't have to worry about I don't have to sit there with this attitude as you're talking. I'm thinking, why aren't you giving more? Dude, what's your problem? And I love that freedom. I love that freedom. Now, I'm not saying those that do it differently, that's wrong. I'm just saying this is what works for me. Maybe I'm too sensitive or something. I don't know. But it, it works for me. So my point is, and I believe too, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to talk more about giving later because it's such a wonderful and crazy topic. I want to give more time to it. But I believe in the principles when it talks about tithing because when we talked about this a couple of years ago, we were not clear. We, you know, we're talking about giving, and, and that's a redo that I'd like to do. So don't listen to that sermon on giving and all that kind of stuff. Actually, I take that back. There was some very good stuff that came out of it, but I don't think we landed clearly. But here's where I stand now. I believe we are to tithe and give offerings. And I believe the tithe is to go into the storehouse. And it talks about, and the storehouse means in our context, it's the local church that you go to. Not your TV church. Not the ministry that you appreciate that's doing a wonderful work, I believe your tithe is supposed to go to the local storehouse. So there's plenty of food to take care of the ministers. And then offerings is above and beyond the tithe. That's what you give to ministries when you see people in need. You give to that. If there's a ministry that's your favorite ministry on the other side of the planet, you bless and give to those ministries. That's called offerings. You say, why do you say that? Well, because it only makes sense if this is a ministry, which I believe it is, New Covenant Fellowship Church, we have a staff here, we have lights that work, we have AC in some places, we have all, all these utilities and things that work, and it's not free. You know, we're a tax-free organization, but they still charge us for electricity. And so if you get fed here, if you have fellowship here, if you're committed here, but you're tithing somewhere else, and if everybody did that, then guess what? Or even if the majority of the people did that, then guess what's going to happen? This place is going to shut down. We're going to have to not be employed here and go find other jobs. Now, if everybody says, well, I'm okay with that, okay, then that's what will happen. But practically speaking, it just makes sense. The tithe is to serve the local ministers and the people here, plain and simple. Okay, that's what I believe. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. So anyway, I used to tithe and give more out of an obligation to whereas now it is more of a joy, excitement and anticipation. It's a joy because it's an opportunity to tangibly demonstrate my trust in him and my love for him. 
every time I get paid once a month, so every time when I'm about to tithe, it's a reminder. Here's an opportunity to put my faith in him. We're talking about someone that I can't see, and I'm talking about a tangible thing right here. And this tangible thing can buy some fun stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look at the tithe, it's like, man, I could, you know what I could do with this? And it's an opportunity to say, Lord, here you go. My heart is yours. My trust is in you. And I get, literally, I get excited. I get excited because I'm reminded of that journey. I'm full of joy because of the opportunity to remind him how much I love him. And you know, Jesus said, those who love me will do what I say. So our, our evidence of loving God is doing what he says. It's not just worshiping him and singing nice songs. Although he tells us to do that, so worship is definitely an act of love. But walking in obedience and specifically finances, because finances is so huge, it's so big. Why do you think he talked about it so often? And one thing good about giving is to me, now some people get paid once a week, some get paid you know, every other week, some get paid once a month. And so however many times you get paid, I think that's how many times, practically speaking, you ought to tithe just off your paycheck each time because it's a constant reminder. And I think it's a heart gauge. It's a good heart gauge. September comes along, I get paid, give my tithe. All good. October comes along, get paid, give my tithe. We're all good. November comes along, get paid. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. If I'm having a hard time letting go of that, then it shows me there's been, a, there's been something, something happened. Something happened inside, you know, this thing called the heart. And it's like, and the Lord's like, why are you having a hard time letting go of that? I don't know. Last month was okay. What's going on? Something has come along to challenge my trust in him. And so to me, money giving is an opportunity. It's a wonderful gauge to let me know where I'm at. And it's a wonderful reminder. And anticipation. He's been so faithful in the past. Why would he stop now? I anticipate him meeting my needs and taking care of us. You know, one thing I can't, well, I'll talk about that another time on giving. I'm going to touch on the last thing. So the, the four things, one is my attitude towards debt. Two, my attitude towards a budget. Three, my attitude towards giving. All these things have changed. And four, being content. Being content. And this has been a big deal, probably bigger than all the other things. If I had to put one finger on something that was really, where I was really messed up. I was really messed up. Because of my financial situation, I spent so much, you know, being in debt, feeling that squeeze. See, that's one thing wonderful and beautiful about debt. It puts a lot of pressure on you. Because you always feel that lack. It's like, man, if all that money wasn't having to go towards debt, I could do more things. I could do more wonderful things. And that's why I want to be free from the bondage of debt, so I can give more. You know, I know two ladies in this congregation. I'm not going to say their names, but one is sitting next to Lisa, and the other one is sitting next to Rhonda. <laughs> I'm not saying their names, so we're just kind of hypothetically speaking. I know of two ladies who are uprooting their lives here in the wonderful, comfortable, beautiful United States. And they are going to different parts of the world 
full-time as missionaries. And what I get excited about, I know them, I know the adventures that they're about to embark on. I'm excited for the opportunity to partner with them. But here's where I get upset. If I didn't have this stinking pile of debt, then I could partner more. And so it's frustrating. It's where the bondage comes in. So I feel like I'm robbing my brothers, my sisters, because this thing over here. So that's why I'm more adamant to take care of this debt so that I can run and aggressively embrace these opportunities that come my way, that come our way. And by the way, these these ladies are going to have an opportunity in the near future to let you know about what's going on because it's coming up pretty soon towards the end of the year. They're going to be moving to other countries. And I would even say if you want to know more about that, you don't want to wait You don't want to wait until they're going to talk because it's going to be a little while. Text me, and I will get you in touch with them. Hope you all don't mind. I'm not going to ask. But anyway, that's why I get frustrated with debt. But anyway, this thing on, um, because of the squeeze of debt and finances and not necessarily, well, not handling my finances correctly and everything, there was always that squeeze of financial pressure. And probably 80% of my prayer And my thoughts was dealing with finances. And it was like, God, would you just pay off this debt so I can be free and just done with it? God, would you just... And there was some frustration. And then it it started turning to resentment. Because it's like, God, you you own a whole bunch of cows, the Bible says. You own everything. You own all this stuff. All I need is just a little drop in the bucket compared to what you got. And you're not laying some of that cash on me, your favorite son? Come on now. And I would get frustrated because I would pray and I would see his promises and I would quote the promise and I would make declarations. And nothing was changing. And so there was this constant underlying turmoil in my soul happening. And then I even noticed there was some jealousy inside of me. I did not have the ability to celebrate with rich people. I didn't have the ability to celebrate when somebody else got blessed. Because it's like, oh, that's so nice. Someone blessed you with a $20,000 car. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And so I'm like, where's mine? I mean, come on now. I mean, I'm the pastor. I mean, she's just a school teacher. I mean, come on, God. But there's this attitude. Now, you didn't know it. But there's this attitude. People who are wealthy that I know, and to see them continue to be blessed and everything, I, didn't, I couldn't celebrate with them. Because this, inside, this inner turmoil, always being focused on needing more, knowing that they have more, and they could snap their finger and set me free. And so I began to develop this attitude of this, this um, entitlement with him and with rich people. Jealousy. And that was bondage. That was stupid. But you know, now, people that I know are wealthy or people, when they get blessed, I can, with my heart, rejoice with them. Because, see, I I used to feel if somebody else was getting blessed because of the poverty mentality that I had, if somebody else was getting blessed, what I was believing was that, okay, if she's getting blessed, that's going to take, that takes 
away from my blessing. That means there's less for me. Isn't that stupid? So, okay, God, you blessed her, and so that means that just really put a damper on your, your resources, and now my blessing is going to be lower. That's the way, that's the way I was viewing things, and that's, that's what jealousy does. We look and we're envious of what other people have, and we're thinking that it's taken away from us. I believe when God puts rich people in our lives or people who are blessed in our lives, I believe one thing he's doing is he's wanting to show us what he wants to do in our lives. He's wanting to build our faith and says, you see what I'm doing in them? Yeah. Come on. He wants us to position ourselves so that we can receive more of his resources. But he knows, and this is where I believe the good father will reserve, withhold economic blessing on us because he knows it can destroy us. If I'm making a mess out of my $1,000 a month and all of a sudden he increases $5,000 a month, guess what I'm going to have? A huge mess. Now, I may have fun with that mess for a little while, spending it. Why is it that these athletes, these young men who come, you know, they're dead broke, you know, they they survive on scholarship, playing football or or sports, they make it, they're, they're wonderful athletes, they make it to the big time, they make it to the NFL. All of a sudden, stroke of a pen, they're multimillionaires. Just like that. 18, 19-year-old, well, probably 20, 21-year-old kids. Multi-millionaires. And then some of them, you follow their career, and maybe 10 years later, however long their career lasts, they're broke. And all these, sor- these sad stories of these men who were broke, who were, who were kings at one point, it's not just about having more money. But it's about learning to be Wonderful stewards of what he's entrusted to us so he can give us more. Amen? I didn't really get to the contentment. We ran out of time. I'll talk about it another time. We're not, I'm not done with this yet. But I used to be afraid of money. The Lord showed me that. You're afraid of money. No, I'm not. I'll prove it to you. Just give me a bunch of it and I'll show you that I'm not afraid of it. But it's all in my attitude. I had some messed up attitudes about debt, about giving, all that kind of stuff. But he's changing. I'm being transformed. And I'm excited. I'm really excited. And he's wanting to invite all of us to these crazy, amazing adventures. Would you stand with me? I have three books I want to give away. These are brand new books. Uh, One's called Entre Leadership. This is by Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is someone that I really enjoy and I like. He's pretty hardcore, but I like him. He's helping me to hate debt. If you listen to him, you'll start hating debt or you'll hate Dave Ramsey. (laughs) One or the other. And I don't think there's any middle ground. But I believe this is 20 years of practical business wisdom from the trenches. trenches. I want to give this book to somebody who is an entrepreneur. Either you either have a business or you're wanting to pursue that area. And you would read this book if I gave it to you. And I want you to come get it. Hey, you three come up here. Those of you who are coming up, the three of you.
I just happen to have three of these books. Wow. There you go. All right. There you go. There you go. You're welcome. Okay, talk to me about that later, okay? I want to hear about it, though. All right, I got another book called Total Money Makeover. Yeah, this is good stuff. Now, this will mess you up. If you want to have some attitudes towards this guy, but if you want to have the right attitude towards finances and everything and, and want to learn and, and, and have your thought processes change, this guy's a millionaire, uh, been broke a couple of times, you know, wealth and everything. But this is called The Total Money Makeover, A Proven Plan for Financial Fitness. He talks about budgets and all that kind of stuff, some of the things I talked about. If I gave this book to you, would you read it? So I don't want you just to make this a nice little thing on your bookshelf or whatever. But if you will read this book, I want you to come and I'll give it to you. Why is everybody so scared? Okay, there's three of you. Hold on, hold on. I happen to have three of these. There you go. There you go. There you go. You know, it's funny because what I was going to do is I was going to give one away and then sell the other two. That's what I was going to do. It didn't work out that way. Let's see what else do I have? Here's a book called Financial Peace Revisited. It sure is. There's a class that he does. Uh, Dave Ramsey does a class. I looked. I was going to tell you that you can. there's churches in Stillwater that are doing financial peace classes right now, but they've already started, so it's a little late for you to get in. You can sign up by yourself online. You and your spouse or your family online can and sign up and do financial peace in your own living room via Internet. Uh, but this is, the, this is the book that comes out of it. deals with some crazy, wonderful uh, finances. I have two of these. If you will read it, I want you to come get this book, Financial Peace Revisited. New chapters on marriage, singles, kids, and family. There you go. We'll have another total money makeover. Oh, yeah. Do you want one of the financial piece? You sure? Take the book, man. I guess I had four of these total money makeovers. Who wants the total money makeover book? If you'll read it, I'll give it to you. Come on, sis. All right. All right. Now, you guys can get those books online. Dave Ramsey, just Google Dave Ramsey, and, and it's just some crazy, uh, encouraging, challenging stuff, okay? Let's put our hands on our hearts. And I hope the one thing that you're getting is that your father is wanting to invite you closer to him. And that includes him changing your heart, him dealing with us and, and helping us, but also just the wild and crazy adventures that he wants. You know, he's created good, great, amazing works for us to walk in daily. Ephesians chapter 2. But that's you partnering with him, taking him by the hand and allowing him to take you on a wonderful journey. And specifically finances right now. But we have to allow him to change our hearts. We have to let go of this, this mammon thing, this thing that many of us can follow, find ourselves worshiping. So, Father, we do invite you to help us. We open our hearts to you, and we say, Jesus, come and do it. Come and do it. And, Lord, we want to place ourselves under that waterfall of your resources, of your favor, of your wealth, of, your, of finances, but we know that that means us adjusting to you and not you adjusting to us. So we give you permission. We ask you to, we submit to conviction. 
to your word, to your truth that will set us free. And we thank you, Father, that you're so good. And I'm so excited about what's going to be happening, the transformation that's going to be happening, and the increased wealth that's going to be happening in people's lives. And the crazy financial miracles that we're going to be experiencing because you're real. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.